This is TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. Hello, and welcome to TSC Now. I'm your host, Dan Klein. This month, I want to do something a little different. June is Worldwide Lamb Awareness Month. Lamb stands for lymphangioleomyomatosis, a rare lung disease affecting women that is characterized by an abnormal growth of smooth muscle cells, especially in the lungs, lymphatic system, and kidneys. Unregulated growth of these cells can lead to loss of lung function, accumulation of lymph-rich fluid in the chest and abdomen, and growth of tumors in the kidneys. Lamb is caused by by mutations in the same genes as TSC and is a common manifestation for women with TSC, but can also occur sporadically with no other TSC manifestations. It is estimated that for every million women, three to five will have lamb. All races are affected, and women with lamb have been identified in over 60 countries. The average age of women at the time of diagnosis is approximately 35 years old. To help raise awareness of lamb on the last day of Worldwide Lamb Awareness Month, this episode will focus exclusively on lamb, research being done to develop new treatments and ultimately a cure, and the organization that is leading the charge to improve the lives of women with lamb here in the United States. My first guest is Sue Sherman, Chief Executive Officer of the Lamb Foundation. The Lamb Foundation was founded in 1995 by a mother of a woman with lamb with a mission to urgently seek safe and effective treatments and ultimately a cure for lymphangioleomyomatosis through advocacy and the funding of promising research. The organization is dedicated to serving the scientific, medical, and patient communities by offering information, resources, and a worldwide network of hope and support. Sue and I discuss how the organization has changed over the years, how their investment in research has helped pave the way for breakthroughs, and how they are raising awareness of lamb during Worldwide Lamb Awareness Month. Here's my conversation with Sue. So we're now joined by Sue Sherman, Chief Executive Officer of the Lamb Foundation. Sue, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's great to be here, Dan. Thank you for the invitation. So to start, can you just give me a little bit of a brief history of the Lamb Foundation? I'd be happy to. So in the early 1990s, there was a young woman in Cincinnati, Ohio named Andrea Burns, and she was diagnosed with a very rare condition called lymphangioleomyomatosis, or LAM. So her mother, named Sue Burns, was devastated, as you can imagine, and she immediately turned to the medical literature for some information or hopefully some answers. Unfortunately, at the time, she found very little information, no scientific studies, no real resources related to clinical care, and very few answers, leaving them with not a lot of hope. So as a woman of action, and I think as most mothers would try to do, she made Andrea's future her highest priority. And with the help of her husband, Fran, they established the Lamb Foundation in 1995. They also reached out to a pulmonologist at the University of Cincinnati as founding scientific director, a gentleman named Frank McCormick. So together, they created this young foundation, and it has, we still have the same mission, to urgently seek safe and effective treatment and ultimately a cure for LAM. We do this through advocacy and the funding of promising research. And how long have you been with the LAM Foundation and how has the organization changed since you've been there? So I joined the LAM Foundation as executive director in 2013. That means that a little bit later this summer, I will have my eighth anniversary. 
as executive director and now CEO. And I would have to say that since that time, the single most important change for our organization was the 2015 approval of Rapimune, also known as Seralimus, for the treatment of lamb. And having an effective treatment for a rare condition is really a game changer. Seralimus slows the progression of lamb in women who have this disease. And now we have something to offer patients where prior to that, it was really just holding out hope that the research and treatments were improving over time without anything concrete. I guess I would say that Seralimus isn't a cure. It doesn't work for everyone, but for many, it really has extended lives and and the quality of life. Also during that time, the fact that we have Seralimus and realizing that it isn't the ultimate cure, it continues to push us to keep reinventing ourselves. So year after year, you know, we keep bringing our scientists, patients and clinicians together to learn more about this disease and also keep cultivating these global networks of those same groups. So Over these many years, a larger network of scientists studying lamb who collaborate together, a larger network of doctors who know how to treat it has been a high priority. And maybe not so different as 1995 with Sue, still working very hard to connect patients who have this disease because it can be incredibly scary and lonely to have such a rare condition. So you talked a little bit about how investments in research led to the approval of Rapimune, but how you still are striving for a cure. How has the Lamb Foundation's investments in research really helped move the field forward? And what research happening right now are you most excited about? Research is really fundamental to what most of our patient advocacy organizations do, knowing that that's It's got to come first. You know, it holds the most promise for improving the lives of the communities that we serve. And for us, and probably for all groups, when patients and families give to our foundations, we're able to direct that money in in a very effective and maybe a little bit of a surprising way. What we're able to do is provide relatively small amounts of money to scientists where they can work on a new idea or gather some data on an idea that they have. And they can then take what they learn from those small pilot projects and apply for much larger grants from organizations like the National Institutes of Health or the Department of Defense. And while we can't say exactly, we we try to watch what the money we invest in is leveraged into. And we've probably invested about $15 million over 25 years to LAM scientists. And we would estimate that probably turned into 40 or $50 million worth of lamb research, which is just kind of mind-boggling, I, I think. Well, you also asked me what I'm excited about. There's so many things. After 25 years, the fact that this rare disease lamb has such momentum on the scientific side is great. Recently, there have been new findings about the origin of lamb cells. So largely, lamb is a lung condition. So lamb cells are in the lungs, but They don't start there. They come from someplace else. And so understanding where these cells might originate from could have important clues. And that's very exciting. As we work with Serolimus as a treatment, we're very excited about a clinical trial called the MILD trial, which will help us better utilize this drug. Can we use it with lower doses? Can we start it earlier in the disease to improve a patient's progression? And I think One other area that's leading edge technology is that we're learning more about how cells change when someone has LAM and 
how those cells are actually communicating with each other. And again, this could have real implications for developing new therapies or understanding how to treat this disease. So that's a layman's person of what I'm excited about related to lamb science. The TSC Alliance has had the opportunity to partner with the Lamb Foundation quite a bit. We've co-hosted research conferences and community education initiatives through our regional conference series. Why in your mind is that collaboration so important and how has it helped advance both of our causes? You know, we have so many similarities in the way that we want to support our patients and families around the world, our shared scientific questions and shared scientific community. And I think in some ways we have similar clinical care challenges for our families. And with both of our organizations, we realize that the world and what we do is just getting more complicated year over year. I mean, there's more competition for funding. There's so many new ways to communicate online, on the web, podcasts, you know, virtually different ways that we can fundraise and look for grants. And for us working together, I think that we have found a powerful way to extend, expand, and improve the things that we do really without increasing any costs or any complexity. And on top of that, I think the icing on the cake is we really work well together. They're great teams and we get a lot of synergy and can do more as a partnership. Absolutely. And we certainly have a lot of fun when we're hosting events together. Yes, we do. With the last year in the COVID-19 pandemic, how has the Lamb Foundation had to shift and pivot in order to continue to drive research forward and support women with Lamb? It was a tough year for us, like everyone, except it was also our 25th anniversary as a foundation. So we had big plans in 2020 to host our, our anniversary celebration, a big gala, bring our scientists and patients together. And as with most events of that scale in 2020. Unfortunately, we had to cancel it. And the word of the year was pivot. So we moved to an online experience where we held a 25th anniversary program and gala virtually and had wonderful participation. We took a lot of the education for patients and families and also created an online experience called Lamposium in Your Living Room. We continue to host about six of those sessions a year open to our entire community. And similarly, we created some uh, lamb research conferences in the virtual environment as well. So there's been some reward in knowing that we're reaching more people globally through these events and we're reaching them consistently. We're just so ready to be together again in a safe environment to share our experiences and continue to push the science forward. You know, historically, your lamposiums bring your patient and research community together. And so to see you guys do your lamposiums in your living room, I thought that was such a clever twist on that idea. And it's been so fun to see those come to life. Thank you. It has created a very intimate interaction. We always talk about that, that you want to sit up down at a lunch table or have breakfast with a scientist or a doctor or a family member, depending on who you are. And we are finding that in these very private virtual environments, it's a conversation with so many people who can hear and learn from those conversations. It's been great. So June is Worldwide Lamb Awareness Month. First of all, how did that month come about? Worldwide Lamb Awareness Month was originally Worldwide Lamb Awareness Day on June 1st, and that was designated by the Worldwide Lamb Patient Coalition. And that is just what it sounds like. It's a coalition of lamb patient advocacy groups around the world. We have about 
18 or 19 groups that essentially do what we do in the United States, but in, in other countries. And a couple of years ago, we realized that it was hard to contain the awareness building, the fundraising and the enthusiasm into one day. And so we also couldn't resist the fact that WWLAD became WWLAM. So Worldwide Lamb Awareness Month became a 30-day June celebration and very serious awareness building so that more people around the world know the signs and symptoms, what to look for, and, and how to get good care. And how has Lamb Foundation been raising awareness throughout this month? So a very active on social media with a lot of posts and informative information. We have patients and families create their own awareness building exercises. Some are fundraising, some are telling their story courageously, I would say. And you can buy a t-shirt with a 2021 Worldwide Lamb Awareness logo. It's a free-for-all. Any way that you can think of to tell more people about Lamb that only increases awareness in our cause. Finally, how can people listening get involved and support the Lamb Foundation? Well, there's always our website, thelambfoundation.org, and it's filled with great information as well as updates for upcoming events or recent articles. There's a blog on our website that has very interesting articles written by scientists, clinicians, and patients and families. We always love to hear people via the phone, and our phone number is 877-CURE-LAMB. So 877- 77287-3526. Our staff is always here to take a call and very present on social media, as I mentioned a bit ago. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, you look for the Lamb Foundation, you'll find us with messages of hope and progress. Well, thank you so much for sharing about your organization. We've really enjoyed partnering with you in the past and helping to raise awareness of Lamb this month. And, you know, we look forward to continuing to partner moving forward in the future. We are grateful for our partnership. We're excited about it. There's many new events coming up that I know that we're going to be producing together. And we just feel very fortunate to have the TSC Alliance as our partner in all that we do. My thanks again to Sue Sherman for sharing the incredible work of the Lamb Foundation. When we were talking, I was struck by the similarities between the TSC Alliance and the Lamb Foundation, how both organizations were founded by parents who were not willing to accept the status quo, how we share a commitment to driving research and building a community so that no one feels alone with their diagnosis, and ultimately, how we both are inspired and motivated by those affected who share their story with bravery and hope. It really is a pleasure for me to help highlight the Lamb Foundation, and as a Testament to our continuing partnership, we will actually be hosting a virtual international TSC and LAM research conference later this year, October 28th to 30th. I'll include links to the LAM Foundation's website, blog, and social media channels in the show notes so you can learn more about their work and how you can support their mission. Next, I talked to Dr. Hilary Lamb, a research associate in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital and an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School. Hilary first became interested in LAM while working in Lisa Hensky's lab, and her research now focuses on leveraging mTOR C1 driven mitochondrial alterations to uncover therapeutic targets for tuberous sclerosis complex and LAM. We dive deeper into how understanding the role of the mitochondria may open the door to new treatments, what other research happening around LAM really excites her, and how the LAM community continues to motivate her work to find a cure. Here's my conversation with Hillary. 
So we're now joined by Hilary Lamb, a research associate at Brigham and Women's Hospital and an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School. Hilary, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to talking to you, Dan. So to start, perhaps can you give us a little bit of details about the focus of your research? Yeah, sure. So I started as a postdoctoral fellow in Lisa Hensky's lab in 2013. I worked on a microRNA called MIR-21. I also worked on another molecule called P62. And kind of both of these projects converged on the role of these molecules in the mitochondria. And so because of those two projects, I really became very interested in what's happening in the mitochondrial compartment in cells that lack TSC1 or TSC2. And so now as I'm developing my own independent project, Projects. My work is focused on the very fundamental aspects of the mitochondrial biology in these cells. And the important thing about mitochondria is they're really the powerhouse of the cell, but they do so, so much more. You know, they're more than just ATP. They also generate a lot of the biomolecules that we think of as part of the metabolic reprogramming that happens in the cells, Dan, as well as the executioners of apoptosis. At some point during the process of cell death, the mitochondria are involved. And so I would say my work is trying to understand how mTOR hyperactivation keeps these mitochondria from inducing apoptosis and also keeps them very active metabolically. So how does this research look to improve the lives of people with TSC and also women with LAM? Yeah, so understanding the mitochondria will lead us to cures. That's, I mean, the ultimate goal of all of our work is to find that cure, find that final Achilles heel for the TSC cells. And so I always try to make that the main point of my work as much as the basic biology is fascinating. The ultimate goal is to leverage that basic biology to find that Achilles heel. How would these potential treatments focused on these mitochondria differ from the current mTOR inhibitors that are available now? Some of the recent work by Carmen Priolo and Brendan Manning and Lisa, obviously, you know, it's all building on that same idea that there are metabolic dependencies within these cells that if we kind of hit one side of the anabolic processes, maybe we can force the cells into metabolic catastrophe. Could that potentially lead to treatments that aren't lifetime drugs? Yeah. So the goal is to eradicate lamb cells and the earlier, the better before they even have a chance to cause cystic remodeling of the lung, finding a way to kill the cells and keep them from continuing to remodel the lung and make it hard for women to breathe. is really the goal. So you mentioned that you worked in Lisa Hensky's lab. How did that experience shape your interest in lamb and what continues to motivate you to work in this field? Lisa has been a fantastic mentor. I came from a background of studying cystic lung destruction and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is kind of a very much more common disease. And I came into Lisa's lab and I just, I've learned so much about metabolism and signaling from Lisa. And she's been a fantastic mentor and inspiration. I think everyone that interacts with Lisa knows how important she is to setting the focus and drive for the future of research in LAM. And so I feel very privileged to be a part of this wonderful line of David Piakowski with the contributions that he made to discovering TSC1 and TSC2 genes. And then Lisa really putting together the part that LAM is caused by TSC1 and TSC2 mutations, and then the obvious identification and, you know, FDA approval of rapamycin. I just, you know, the past 20 years have just been so incredible. And, you know, to think that I'm a piece of that legacy and what we're going to accomplish in, in the next 20 years is just exciting. 
I do believe we're moving closer and closer to a cure and understanding the disease better. And I think that there's some really exciting things coming up from the work that's being done now. So touching on that, you mentioned that there's a long line of discoveries and researchers who've been working on this and how the discoveries build off of each other. What other current research being done in LAM really excites you? Of course, I, I think one thing that's been super helpful for LAM is the single cell RNA sequencing that's being done. So this is when we are able to look at the transcriptional profile of individual cells within the lung. And I think because, well, there's very few LAM cells in the lung and it drives all this remodeling. And so I think now we have this capacity to actually look at those very small percentage of cells and see what they're doing, but also to see how the cells around them are responding. And I, I think that our single cell RNA-seq is going to really help us get to better therapies and just understanding lamb pathology better. I think the other really exciting side of things is like the developments in immune therapy that's happening that, you know, that we can leverage the immune system to understand or to eradicate these lamb cells in the lung. I think that that's super exciting. And then I think finally, in terms of the future, I think that we're developing better and better models. I mean, models are never going to be perfect, right? I mean, they're models, but we are getting improvements in the models. So one thing that's super fascinating, you know, I didn't appreciate it until I kind of came into studying lamb is that it's really hard to grow lamb cells in a dish. So this has been a, a real struggle. And then, you know, not knowing what the cell of origin was and the mouse modeling of lamb has been a super, super challenging aspect as well. But we now have quite a few new models that people are using. And I think that probably taking these models together and the additive value of each model and seeing what's common is what's going to be really help us to identify therapies. You talk about the development of new mouse models. Are there other gaps in research or unanswered questions that that you think are the next things that researchers really need to focus on to crack that cure? I think one thing that's super powerful about the LAM community, the involvement of LAM patients and their families is just having that funding for these various proposals that come from very different perspectives. And so I think that one thing that is going to help us move forward in the future is just that collaborative and inclusive environment that the LAM Foundation in particular creates that we need to welcome in new perspectives that question paradigms. And for example, the single cell sequencing data, now we need to really involve a lot of computational biologists and just extend the expertise and the interest in LAM is just gives us a very bright future. You talk about that collaboration and the LAM Foundation especially is very good at not only just bringing researchers together, but also bringing the patient community together. You know, they have their Lamposium and it's not just for researchers, but it's for women with LAM to interact with those researchers. How does that experience motivate you, you know, having the opportunity to interact with women who your research may help one day? I completely agree with Sue Sherman when she says that women who have LAM are just unicorn people. I don't know. I don't think she said it quite like that, but they're just very inspirational people. They're very positive. And I think it's that capacity to hold joy and grief in your life at the same time and to just do it with so much poise and grace. I think it's because this disease strikes when you're right at that childbearing age where a lot of these women, they're diagnosed when they're pregnant with their babies and, you know, life should just be full of joy. And yet they receive this horrible diagnosis, you know, and that capacity to hold joy and grief is just something that life teaches you. And I think for women with LAM, that lesson just gets brought to the forefront so much and to just embrace the joy and, you know, also acknowledge that there's grief there. Women who have LAM are just an inspiration. And so I think that even when you have tough days, like 
you know, today for me, I received a grant rejection. You know, I come into the lab and I, we have this conversation and I think, you know, it's so much bigger than myself. And we do want the best science to be funded. And, you know, you have to believe in the process that it's a, a progressive and iterative thing and that we're all getting better and the, the next proposal will be better. Finally, building off of that point, what is your hope for the future? My hope is that we can find a cure for lamb and that the community realizes that we do it together and that everybody is important and has a part to play and that everyone just takes that part very seriously. You know, I recently have some trainees, you know, I just feel like I'm passing the torch to them. And it's just, it's probably my favorite part of bench work is, you know, training people that have never done things before and just all the promise that their futures hold and what they're going to do. Thank you for the role that you play in getting us to that cure in inspiring the next generation of scientists who will help move this field forward. And thank you for just sharing your research with me today. It's always exciting for me to get to talk to researchers and hear about their one small piece of the overall puzzle. So I really appreciate you taking some time. Thanks so much, Dan. My thanks again to Hillary for sharing about her research on the role of mitochondria in lamb. She is part of an inspiring line of researchers who have helped us better understand TSC in lamb and has laid the foundation for past, present, and future breakthroughs. I thank her for her commitment to improving the lives of women with lamb and how she is inspiring the next generation of lamb scientists. Earlier this month, in recognition of Worldwide Lamb Awareness Month, the TSC Alliance hosted an e-webinar titled Lamb and TSC, Surveillance, Treatment, and Research, presented by Dr. Suheil El Shamali, Clinical Director of the Center for Lamb Research and Clinical Care at Brigham and Women's Hospital. The webinar covered surveillance, management, and treatment recommendations based on the latest consensus guidelines, clinical trials currently taking place, and a look at the future of research in Lamb. A recording of the presentation will be available on our website soon at tscalliance.org slash eWebinars. I really encourage you to check it out. That will do it for this episode. I encourage everyone listening to visit the Lamb Foundation's website, www.thelambfoundation.org to learn more about Lamb, Worldwide Lamb Awareness Month, and how you can support women living with Lamb. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next month. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. Listen to all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast now at tscalliance.org slash tscnow. See you next time.